Out of your league, everybody. The show goes on. Hi, Kyle Amor. How are we doing? Very good. Look at you. We finally got you here. I've been, I've been calling for this for years and years and years. I finally got rid of Wilkin. We've got rid of Flanagan. And we've got Amor. Thank you very much. No, pleasure to be back here and, again. And all. so while I was away, you, you did one with Mark. How did that go? How was the chemistry? No, it was good. It was good. Uh, you know, Flash obviously was a little bit nervous about, about taking the lead and filling in your role. But, uh, you know, I thought you did Really, you, did you should have taken the lead, shouldn't so, you? And Flash should have just been... No, no not at all. Because he all. looks great, doesn't he? But so, when, when, well, he's always, <laughs> looked, he's always looked incredible, Flash. But so, not, there's not a lot in there when, it, so. when the mouth opened. <laughs> did, was, did you go back to that sort of 2014 camaraderie in the dressing room at Saints when you played halfback and won the grand final? Well, yeah, they mentioned that so he? yeah he, he didn't he didn't let that one go but uh no look obviously we had Lachlan Cooten uh, and you, you made know, him cry a great guest a great guest so it's like this isn't Victoria Derbyshire you're not supposed to make the guests no, cry no, you know look he, he was he was incredibly uh brave and honest yeah. and opened up Will and he has got an amazing story isn't he uh, it was, yeah it was a good episode yeah. really no, good episode no, and also we went from 4.8 stars to 4.9 stars in right. that particular week so right. whether Amos had something to do with that <laughs> I don't think that was it Will but uh, no no look uh, delighted to be back with uh, back on and uh, yeah looking forward to this one yeah um, hi Brian Brilly. nice to meet you look at this just straight in with the intros, which we should go for. Not just a, a, a Salford fullback, but also a women's football agent, Carl. Did you know that? I knew you were doing some footballing agency. I didn't know it was specific to the women's game, but, uh, you know, obviously a, a fantastic player and he's right. And, uh, and and obviously a busy man with other talents off the field too. Yeah. This is what I love about these podcasts, because we're going to ask all sorts of questions, which we don't know the answers no. to. And, <laughs> and actually, I think what's going to be really interesting, Ryan, out of this is just from our little chat that we had before, is the agent side of things in general, like in not just only mm. in rugby league. And I want Kyle's views on that as well. But you, um, since we last seen you, had a great time at Wembley, Kyle. Yeah. How good was that? Yeah, no, it was fantastic. Uh, talk about the women's game. Well, you, you know, are, you're like the Claire Balding of rugby league now. I said to you last week, you're, <laughs> there isn't a show or a station that you're not on. You get more places than Wilkin. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, look, I'm just a big, big fan of the game. And, uh, you know, I've been able to sort of uh, work on these, you know, on all sport, on all parts of the sport. Sorry, you know, the women, the wheelchair, the men's. Look, obviously the men's is, is the game that, that we grow up and uh, watching. And, and that's, that, that's where, you know, my passion is. But obviously with the wheel, mm. wheelchair and the women's side of it now, I've learned to uh, get to know some of these players, their mm. backstory. Stories, which you know, some of the some of the guys and girls have got fantastic stories mm -hmm. there, uh, but and then ultimately get to watch them play the sport that we all love, and yeah. I think it's only fantastic that those two sports have, have sort of uh, have taken off over, over the last couple of years. How big was that for your old teammate, Matty Smith? We had him on the week before he went down to Wembley, women, the women's... Yeah, yeah, no, brilliant. You know, obviously Matty's a good friend of mine and, and he actually, you know, loves and deep, deeply, deeply cares about the game. So... Mm. Anybody who gets to be successful, you know, you should only really, you know, especially when they put the work in, you should only applaud them and 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 champion them for it. So, uh, you know, well done, Matty, on his on his debut season, lifting that cup. Let's get stuck into Ryan. Well, the nickname <laughs> nickname Kess is that's not to do with this film in the sixties about the bird, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Go on, yeah. tell us how um, I like him. Because when I first went to Lee, um, Paul Rawley's mentioned Kez and again I, I didn't have a clue yeah. about what it was you never it's um, a classic it's a classic but film. There's, a, there's a misconception because the reason he calls me Kez because he thinks I look like Billy Casper right <laughs> a lot of the skinny yeah, lad yeah. who's like hanging off the goalpost <laughs> so 
I should be called Billy, really, but he just called me Ken just because of the film. So sad film. Where you, um, the, the bird dies at the end, doesn't it? If you haven't seen it, I've like, never seen, seen Ken. I've seen it. It's no. a film in the sixties, no. set in South I, Yorkshire. Yeah, I've, I've heard all about it. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a PE teacher yeah. or something in there <laughs> yeah. as well, and I've heard. Obviously, I've heard all about it. But you know, there's there's loads of there's loads of top films that I haven't seen. You know, never seen a James Bond. What? I know. You've not seen one James Bond film? Not seen one James Bond film. That's that's Um, a disgrace. Star Wars? Star Wars. Uh, No, I have seen one. Yeah. That's uh, the one with, uh, was it Phantom of the... Something. Not sure. Don't, don't, well, we had, yeah, we've, we've had Star Wars on this. (laughs) So, this. yeah, but no, no, there's loads. Rocky, not even seen a Rocky. What is going on? I know, on? I know. That's huge, that. I know. You've retired. That's a big one, the kid from, uh, <laughs> This is the time to do yeah, it all. There's nothing really, uh, not doing much in Whitehaven. <laughs> and and yeah. our nearest cinema was about 10 mile away, so, uh, yeah. So, you two, I mean, you've come up against each other a few times, I imagine, over the years? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Been yeah, flattened cool. by AA more a few times, Ryan? Yeah, he's a grub. <laughs> go on as, as, a, as a player Ryan talk to me Kyle oh look he, he knows how to score a try he's one of those players that's very very instinctive reads and understands the game incredibly well uh, you know you've only got to look at the amounts of tries that he scored in his career mm-hmm. uh, across the championship and in Super League as well and uh, when you've got an instinctive player in your side you've always got a chance and uh, you know me and Ryan over the last couple of months of work together on different little, little bits of media and, and kind of got to understand a little bit around what he's what he's like. He's obviously a deep thinker of the game, mm-hmm. cares and wants to wants to improve wherever he's at. So, uh, But again, I think his try scoring record speaks for itself. This is the future of Rugby League punditry right in front of us now, isn't it? Forget John Wilkin. <laughs> we don't like to say John's name too much. Former teammate of yours at Toronto, which we're going to get talking about later but uh, this is it this is this is it right here right oh, well, I think there's plenty of people that's coming <laughs> through in there you know that that again just want to uh just just want to get out there and 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 get to work in a different part of the field of a sport that we all love yeah uh, talk to me about your story Ryan so you're born in Preston Preston boy Lancashire boy what was sort of life for a young young Ryan really like um yeah steady I, again I, there's no um Nothing exciting about, nothing a sob story about around it. I had obviously a normal upbringing. Um, I moved to Bolton when I was kind of two, three year old. Um, obviously played my local local amateur team, uh, West Orton Lions, which is especially in Bolton, probably not not renowned for for rugby league. Mm-hmm. So obviously at school and stuff was never really part of any school rugby team. It was always kind of football. Um, so I've kind of Grew up watching football, so massive Preston North End fan. Mm. Um, oh, y- years and years of pain. Yeah, years, <laughs> like I am. Um, but obviously, most of my family obviously was massive uh, Preston uh, football fans, but obviously my dad's side was um, was all rugby league. Like yeah. he, he loved Salford. Um, so I always watched Salford growing up as a, as a, as a young boy. So as he kind of grew older, took me to the games. Also, all my dad's side is, is, is mainly Salford, um, Salford rugby league fans, so kind of, Grew my love for the game through, through them. Um, what was your first memory? Because you used to go to the Willows, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that, and, and that was my that was my be all and end all uh, every weekend going to the, the Willows. It was actually a, a funny story when when I was at school and you know, when you on a Monday morning when the teacher says what have you done at the weekend, mm. it was always on a Friday went to went to watch rugby at Salford and, and there was a bit worried that I never did anything else, um, and I was always worried about any other interests and I, and I didn't really have any other other, other interests other than play rugby and I also Kyle say the same when you have a, a passion and, and dream to be a professional rugby league player mm. that's all I ever wanted and, and that wasn't from out of arrogance thinking I deserved to be it just I just thought you could choose to be I didn't know you could I didn't know you had to be any good I just thought you could just when it says oh what do you want to do when you're older or what do you want to be 
it was a rugby player because I just thought you could just choose to be one. I didn't know you had to be selected or picked or contracted. You don't know any of that when you're a young kid. You're just mm. playing the, in the car park, aren't you? So I think that's where my desperation and desire probably came from in, in terms of rugby league that I never want. I never wanted a plan B. When they, so I watched, even my mum and dad, well, what are you going to do if you don't make it? What are gonna be, what's going to be a plan B? I never had one because I just thought that was... What I was, gonna do. was it about you or do you think when you think back it was about making your dad proud because of his sort of passion for, for Salford and rugby league? Purely me. Uh, my dad loved rugby but never never pressured me, never uh, forced me to um, to play. I, I had a couple of wobbles when I was 11, 12 about not playing the game and never once forced me, never once was upset with me. Um, just always supported me, which is what I wanted mm. from my mum and dad. Took me everywhere, travelled everywhere in, in the country to watch me play but... Uh, and even now, like that's never left. The the, the family are, are, are really supportive of me, so I definitely wasn't um, pushed or pressured. It was just I wanted to be a professional rugby league player. Watching Salford and um, my heroes growing up, it was Steve Blakely, Gavin Clinch, people like that. Mm. Um, even Luke Robinson, obviously back end of the, his time, uh, that back, back end of his career. So that was my biggest um, inspiration. Is I wanted to play for Salford. That was my biggest dream. Um, and even though people were kind of grow up and wanted to win things and be um, win trophies. Mine was just play for Salford. Mm. Um, luckily, kind of, it's happened now. <laughs> when, when was that realisation then that you actually had the, the talent to be able to do that? Because it's all well and good saying, oh, I thought I could just pick and, and choose. And you, you didn't play a lot. You've said a lot of rugby league as a kid. We had so many people on this podcast who, you know, I mean, you, Carl, you played a lot, right? And I know you went from a sort of, a, well, what tell, tell us for those who don't know your background as a kid in terms of oh well well actually I didn't I, as a as a young kid I didn't play from uh, the because of the area you were from yeah right? well well look obviously there was a lot of lot of rugby league there loads of amateur clubs a lot of my mates played mm. but I was about sort of I think I played a year under nines a year under elevens and then I left it up until I got my job in in a factory and then uh, it was one of my my oldest brother's mates was like mm. why don't you come and and play and uh, you know I started playing second team rugby and, and uh, on a Friday night and then mm. quickly that started doing well and then they wanted me in the first team on the Saturday and then mm. we had a national under 18s league on the Sunday mm. so I very quickly became from not playing that much at all into for the, about the next five years until I got signed professionally by Whitehaven was playing every you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday yeah. um, across sort of three different teams, but within my one club. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how I did it. But I, I, I loved it that way though, Will, because yeah. you know I got to I got to you know play with play with men, uh, you know, from a 16, 17 year old, and and everything that came with it. You know, the the Saturday club, the Sunday club that we used to have after mm. the game, and. And that was, you know, that's that, that's how my sort of story and introduction got into it. But for me, I, I never, you know, and I've, I've mentioned this before, I never for once thought that I'd get to anywhere near, you know, what I was able to achieve in the game. So mm. uh, for me, it was literally just just riding the wave yeah. all the time. But did you think, Ryan, that you were playing catch up then because you hadn't played as much rugby as, you know, some of the kids you were knocking about with later or not? Um I think in general I have been a, a late developer in in my in my game. Um, when when all my friends and at sixteen there's there's normally like a, a scholarship or a um, you sign to an under 18s team or something like that. I never got picked, um, so all my friends got got selected mm. um, at sixteen to your Wigan Saints, um, and I still believe now I probably wanted to be a rugby player more than any of them players who got picked. 
but I didn't. I just wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, so I never got picked when I was 16. So I, I, I went and went going to college and just think it wasn't going to happen. And I think I was, as I was playing for the college in, at Lee, I sent um, I sent a video, a D, uh, sorry, a DVD video to every Super League club mm. um, for a trial. And there was the only team who got back to me was Castle for Tigers. Um, my dad weren't so happy because he had to travel an hour. Uh, so what, so it was like a, a DVD with well, a, like quite, a covering that, letter. That's quite unique. You <laughs> yeah, know, to do, to do yeah it was with a covering. Yeah, with yeah. a covering. That's what it was. Go on, yeah. Yeah. What, what sort and of it was just also I'd explain on on the covering letter. I'd say my position, um, where I've played, my my, my, my like a CV, and yeah. then, because again, I I didn't know that you had to be selected. I, just, I thought you could just apply apply to be one. Because yeah. um, I didn't I didn't understand it then. I didn't understand the the, the process around it. So I'm, I'm just putting a, listen, I'm, I want to be a professional rugby league, league player. I want to do this, I want to do that. Mm. Um, they come back to me and said, well, yeah, come down on like a Tuesday night uh, at Casford High School. And kind of kicked on from there and also went through the academy system. But weirdly, I still think, you know, when you talked about um, when did you realise you was good enough or I, I suppose that's a really awkward question for me to answer because I still I've still struggled with that throughout throughout my career whether I've whether I am or not. I think over the last probably two years, three years at a push, I've become really comfortable with myself as a as a rugby league player because I feel like I have failed at times um, it, when I've had previous stints in Super League. I've not been good enough. Um, didn't think I was ever going to make it. So even now, you, when you say, when did you realise you were good enough? I don't know, I don't know if I really have. Really, like, that's all I think. Just on that though, Ryan, I, I truly believe that, that, that there's an awful lot of players in Super League who almost suffer from that imposter syndrome. I did myself, you know, that where you perhaps, because the sport's played by 17 blokes, you're essentially a cog in the wheel, right? You know, so... I honestly believe that there'll be a, there'll, there'll be a, a number out there who fully believe in themselves and who back themselves. But I think for a lot of players as well, and again, I'm only talking from my own experience, is that they do tend to struggle with 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 that self belief. You know, you've got these young men who are being judged every single day by coaches, by the players, by the playing group, by fans. It's very easy to then fall into oh well, if you know if I have a bad run, am I actually good enough? Am I do I deserve to be here? And so it doesn't. It does surprise me in one sense because when you see Ryan play the game, he looks like he's just enjoying it all the time. You know, anyone who's scoring as many tries as what he does, surely he's enjoying it. I wish I could only dream of yeah. a fraction of what he's done in terms of try scoring. But um, yeah, I just think that I just think that 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 what he said there is probably a bit more common than maybe what what people people might think. It's interesting that because. Again, you, you get different types of characters who at a very young age just think, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to show everyone, show the world what I'm made of and so on. But did you struggle with that confidence then? So that day that you turn up to Cass and you've sent out this covering letter and you're trying to sort of almost prove people wrong before you started, right? Yeah, it, paranoia is, is massive. Mm. I think in, in rugby league, especially I've, I've experienced that paranoia, what people think of you, what people, how people judge you. Are you good enough? Are you not? And that, that, that doesn't stop... Um, on a Monday morning when you're in your video review, mm. you're, gonna, you're about to get judged again. And the anxiety through the weekend, knowing that you're going to come up in video. You think about in the in the game, you make a mistake in the game, all you can think about is video on the Monday, mm. on the Monday morning. And that's the, the judgmental side of the game. Um, I have got better with over, over, over the years and, and grown up heavily. I do think though, you do get better with that. 
yeah. as you get older anyways mm. in general, don't you? You yeah. do start to, I wouldn't say care less, but you start to stop thinking about what other people as such think about you. But we all know by that point, it's nearly time for you to quit the game and move on because because <laughs> you get to a certain age where, you know, I remember last couple of, last couple of seasons, me, ex exactly what you're saying. You, you're thinking about the video, but, but I think by then you already know what you've done wrong, don't mm. you? And you're comfortable by saying, look, I've got that wrong. You know mm. what I mean? You're not looking to shirk it or, 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 or look to finger point anywhere else. You can just sort of understand it, can't you? And I think what, what's probably helped me is when you, when you come to your next game, you realise no one cares about last game, do they? Like it very, you just move mm. on so quickly. Mm -hmm. I have a obviously, try out with a couple of our young lads at Salford with it that they're in pieces after video for, for days. Yeah. And it's like, and you do know that Warrington over there, they don't care about you've played bad. Saints don't care about you've dropped the ball. Mm. They don't, no one's bothered. Mm. So it, the situation is always way bigger in your own head than than anyone else's. So was it rejection for you at, at the jungle at that stage at, at Cass before it all came good and you found your feet at Lee? How did that transition work? Yeah, I, I was kind of put on dual reg um, at Lee and, and it worked because Lee was obviously a little more local and obviously getting getting a chance to play again. So again, probably a, a bit of a late development from what Kyle said about mm. playing against men um, and really exposing myself to, to that sort of environment, which was um, scary for me because I'm going to a, a chain room with Stuart Littler and Tommy Goulding, people like that who um, were really senior pros. Who mm. and bear in mind, I'd watched Stuart Littler as a fan, obviously growing up as, at Salford, and, and they were bonkers. And they were, yeah, <laughs> there's probably not many more ruthless chain rooms to go into. Yeah. Um, Rob Parker was part of that as well. Mm. So that was um, a, good, a good, probably a good thing for me. It was probably the deep end uh, and just get on with it. And I think, but that's sink or swim, right? That's yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and what I will say is. I probably needed that in terms of the protection element. Like I was the young kid and if anyone touched me on a rubber leaf field, mm. they'd be livid. They'd, they'd jump straight in for me. Uh, Ricky Bybee, God, God bless him. For me, he was a, a, a hero for me because if anyone went anywhere near me, mm. he'd fire up and not, not anyone touched me. Did you me, have so. to earn that protection? Not initially, no. No, I, I think because I wasn't really in the team consistently. So I'd be like in off the bench or, um, and I was part of a good team, so I, I'd, I would maybe score tries. So I probably gain my respect that way, but mm. not to the depths of where you have to earn your respect now is week in, week out, sort yeah. of actions, mm. that sort of stuff. Um, but in that dressing room, I was, I felt comfortable after, after a while because they protected me, um, which is what I needed probably. Cause, because of that rejection, having actually someone who go, now we'll actually accept you and we'll look after you. Mm. Um, and not travelling on M62 every, every night for an hour and was, was quite nice. Because I'm just thinking you, your personality as well. You're not a drinker. You, know, you don't unnecessarily, I imagine, get involved too much in the social scene of it or whatever. And a young boy on there, on, on the scene at the beginning, sometimes you know you want to come in, you want to just do everything to impress and be part of it, right? But would you, I mean, would you say you're a bit of an introvert compared to some of the other? Yeah, and, and again, but in a rugby environment, when, when someone says, they don't drink. You probably think it's a little bit weird, don't, don't they? Well, we, this is what we talked about with Lachlan Coo. You know, I, yeah. I do believe that mindset is changing, you mm. know, because of, you know, you know, social media, you know, the, the fact that the game's got more athletic. They don't want to be, these young players don't want to be seen or can't be seen being too messy, can they, for mm. obvious reasons. And uh, so, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, there, there'll be a certain group of uh, that are still in the game that would maybe frown upon it, but... 
as we spoke about with Lachlan Coote there, you know, I think I think for many that everybody's kind of just doing what they what they want to do now within mm. the game, and they, and they'd rather value success and mm. and 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 memories in terms of when is the right time to have it, and when you know you that 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 kind of change room he's talking about. I was in a similar position in twenty two thousand and ten. Uh, with Whitehaven, my hometown club, and yeah. you know the, the the game at that level is still it's is very just as physical as Super League. It's maybe not the you know where where it falls short is their decision to make the best decisions under fatigue at speed. That's where the the game differentiates. But mm. there's some tough what I call proper men in that division. You know the big roads, they come, they lift weights, they they, they, they want to compete, they want everything about it. But there's just, as we know, with every level comes a new level, you know. Mm. So, uh, but they are, and and back around that time, they were still very much like it was dead funny to be around. Look, I'm not mm. going to sit here and say it was wrong. I loved every minute of it, but it was very, very different. Yeah, very different. Yeah, you, you talk about the numbers and the tries that you scored, and you, I think you put yourself down a little bit there, Ryan, because 133 tries in 125 games. For Lee, it's ridiculous numbers. Did, at that stage, did he almost feel kind of unbeatable? Did he feel like the the sky was your limit? That that was your stepping stone to to bigger and better things already? Um, no, I, I think that the tries um, came of part being part of obviously a good team for one. Mm. Um, and looking back now, I had a probably a selfish attitude that if I scored a try, I've, I've done my job. Like yeah. I, I've mm. done I've done my bit. And and looking back. I was a lot of them tries were off the bench um, because consistently for 80 minutes I would have flaws in my game, but I was quick, so I, I'd probably score a try. And it, looking back, it was probably the most selfish uh, five years of my career because all I thought about was, well, someone else make a break and I'll just support it because I'm quick enough to get there and I'll score. You just felt that was your job, that just to job. finish. That yeah. was my only job. And even uh, defensively, the that part game was non-existent for me. Mm. That, that even... Like in terms of video and preview, I never watched anything where I would have to defend. Yeah. Like that. So, and I'd always, again, a selfie mentality. I'd, I'd be pushing people inside me, going, "You defend. I'll just go try." And looking back now, like, it's such a selfish mindset that my players would have had to deal with for, for me, and it didn't hold me in good stead in the back end of my career because when you actually start learning to be a good teammate and be mm. a, um, a good professional, I just thought, well. Martin Ridyard was great for me as a as a halfback. Mm. He used to take all the control, do all the kicking, do all the all the dirty stuff, um, and he'd set someone up or, or put someone through a hole, and I'd just back up the middle and score. Yeah. Um, and that was just my way of probably a bit of the imp imposter t uh, syndrome again. That if I could put, my, put myself over, over the try line and yeah. celebrate, well, I'm now a professional rugby league player because. I'm scoring a try and I'm celebrating in front of fans. That's that makes me a professional rugby league player. But imposters don't have those sorts of numbers, do they, Carl? I mean, that's the thing. It's almost <laughs> like in football, you'd have, uh, you know, you know, as a Liverpool fan, you'd have certain people with certain skills. But do you then, as a coach, want someone who's who's got everything in the all round package? If you've got a natural finisher like that, do you not just let him do what he does naturally? Well, I think that's what you do, don't mm. you? You know, no one's ever going to complain if a striker's scoring goals. For yeah, you, are they? you know, it's when the, the numbers stop, right? Yeah, where the questions yeah, come. Yeah, I mean, but look, I just think that. Um, you know, it's interesting listening to to what you're saying there, and you're saying about your imposter syndrome, and and you had a selfish mindset. But I honestly think as well that 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 some of the best players, even across any sport, are of a selfish mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, they actually believe that everybody is there to watch them, 
they believe that their job is to be the one that everybody's talking about. And I'm not saying that that's that, that, that I'm certainly not saying that, but I do believe that, that if you score as many tries as what you do, you've got to, you, it would be, it, it must have been hard to then not actually truly deep down believing in what you were doing. So at what point was that the mind shift where you actually thought that, you know, not just scoring the try, there must have been a stage within your career where you felt, right, I am on the way up. You know, whether that, that, whether that was when you left Lee or when you joined Salford, there must have been a point where you felt that I am a Super League player. Um, well, I was, in terms of realising I was a Super League player, that honestly has only been recently, probably the last two years. Because well, I went, when I left Lee, I also went to Huddersfield mm. um, for a, a transfer fee. And transfer fees are quite rare, aren't yep. they, in, rub yep. in rugby league? Yep. And I was a bit like, transfer fee like, um, for me. So, bit of ego in there. Um, I think, well, someone's actually paying for me. Did I believe I was worth that fee? <laughs> Definitely not. Did I think my career was just going to take off? Yeah, 100%. And then when I realised how difficult Super League was, mm. um, I panicked, I had nerves, anxiety, yeah. um, and then I started getting dropped. Mm. And I've never had that before. I'd never had that in terms of being dropped from um, a team. So I've, I'd been rejected in terms of not getting selected for um, a contract or things yeah. like that, but I'd never been flying and, and thinking I was fine. Um, cause I'd, I'd, I'd scored for Huddersfield. You scored a hat-trick, didn't you? Yeah. Wigan. yeah and, then, and I always remember. Yeah, I did. I remember, and I, look, I'll openly say it now. I remember the, an article came out the next day and it said about, you'd said something like, you scored this hat-trick and I expected, I don't know what it was, you might have to remind me that you expected something to happen and nothing happened. Yeah, I expected to be like a superstar. That was, it was something along yeah. them lines. And look, I'll be honest, we were sat around having a meal and we were like, what's this lad saying this for? Mm. Do you know, do you think ego has been in your way? Um, it's a bit of a juxtaposition though the ego and the imposter syndrome I they're think, not two things which go together I expe expectancy of so against Wigan at uh, the, uh, the DW which is for me one of the best teams to play in rugby mm -hmm. so, and, and bear in mind yep. I, I'd been rocking around the championship for, yep. for years I'd not played so, so a, a game against Wigan now is for me it happens every year whereas yep. that didn't happen for me so that was like right. a massive game for me yep. and I scored a hat it was, on, it was on Sky as well so uh, hat trick against Wigan on Sky and I got interviewed after the game and I'm thinking, I'd never had any of this. Mm. I'd, n I'd never been the, the star of the show. In, in, we're talking Super League here. I, mm. I, I, championship was fine, playing against your Barrows and Jews with no disrespect mm. and scoring tries against them. But to go, to go against Wigan and score a hat-trick and weirdly, because Huddersfield, I, I drove myself to the game. So I walked out the stadium, no one there. Well, I walked all the way around the, where the players parked, no, right at the back. So I mm. walked right around the, on my own. I'm going, this is bizarre. I feel like I've just scored a hat trick at Wigan. And no one cares. Mm. I, felt like, I felt like no one cared about it, which I really struggle with that. I mean, obviously you go home and you can't sleep after games, can you? And I'm going, no, one's, no one had spoke to me. Mm. I saw, I'd, I'd literally gone from the interview, showered, walked to my car, got in my car, drove, drove home, 10 minutes away and got into bed and I felt like no one cared and it was really it was really can, bizarre for, for, to handle can I do what what did you expect to happen then Bec because I'd got a hat trick at Wigan I thought like my world would change 
I thought because I, I'd waited for so long, so because I'd been rejected and so um, I'd wait for that opportunity. I'd, I was probably 24, mm. which is quite late, isn't it? In mm. terms oh, yeah, of definitely, yeah. What, so what, I, I, the, the, the chance is almost gone by yeah. around that. Age, so I, I'd, I'd really. kind of, as I said before, I, I was a late developer in terms of my game and stuff. Mm. And it was pretty much right. We got Catalan next week and. And weirdly, from 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 that game, and we played Catalan the week after. I'd scored again. The week after, I got dropped for the Magic Weekend. He was a coach around that time. Paul Anderson, and he 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 spoke to me about. It. He said, "Your numbers weren't good enough." I'm going. Just got to try. What do you mean? That isn't. Mm. That's what I thought. I just I just got to try. So why is that not? So in terms of carries, meters, mm. um, GPS, I'd never heard of any of this. Like yardage carries I'm like, what does that even mean like as a f I could bear in mind it was my second game as a fullback I'd played all my career as a halfback mm. it was my second game as a fullback and I was just like this new world to me and thinking now playing a fullback playing mm. fullback now we're talking nearly nearly 10 years ago in terms of what a fullback now does I didn't have a clue it's certainly a position Will that's probably changed the most mm. within the last six, seven years for sure. You know, mm. what they're expected to do. Um, you know, they're all round players, got to be, you know, the best fullbacks in the game. They're like gold. You know, they're the ones that you would imagine that earn the, well, Ryan will be able to tell you, being the <laughs> agent and a fullback himself, that, <laughs> that, earn, the, that earn the big money now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but they've, they, they've certainly changed. So I, I understand there, you know, uh, but, but, but for me, that's where a coach needs to coach. Yeah. He needs to, you can't just go, out the team like surely as a young lad he's got to understand his players and understand that that you know uh, I mean I never worked with Paul Anderson but mm -hmm. I would have thought surely an arm round you and say listen I need you to do this and this next week mm -hmm. without no warning and then just say you're out after scoring four tries in two games seems a bit that, that was what I, seems I, a bit I, bizarre I, yeah, really. I struggle with it because Did, I was, was that a pivotal moment in terms of you perhaps losing a bit of passion for the game and then thinking that you weren't getting what you deserved. I hated the game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, because I'd become this, um, in my own head, the superstar at Lee, into then going to Huddersfield and becoming irrelevant and no, a nobody. I'm thinking I've failed. I'm I'm now, I've, <laughs> it's mad in it when you get dropped. You think the world ended, don't you? Like that's, that's how I felt. I felt like the world had ended. So I'd, I'd got dropped after scoring a try at Catalan. Um, after scoring a hat-trick the week before at Wigan. And I was thinking, well, I've now been dropped. So that means I'm not a rugby player anymore. That's that. I'm not a professional. I can't. I can't tell my mates I'm a professional rugby league player. Yeah. I've been dropped now, and you get embarrassed. Why are you not playing? Oh, yeah, I've been rested, or I've got a tight army, or I got embarrassed by telling my friends that I wasn't playing anymore. And yeah. people who what, what did your TV. teammates say? Because I mean, it seems like again from the outside, we, none of us would have noticed that fragility, right? You just think you're big old brutes and you carry on or whatever. But like, you obviously weren't in a great place at that that time. Yeah. I, I was really struggling, if I'm honest. Um, could, just couldn't get to grips with Super League. Couldn't get to grips with the environment. And, I, and I'd gone from an environment at Lee where we we won the league every year um, and everything was happy and it, it was a chilled environment. Everyone loved each other. To to Huddersfield where it was in a relegation battle and it was one of the most um, torturous environments that I could have been, mm. people didn't speak to each other, people didn't look at each other, staff would avoid each other, staff would avoid players. And I'm just a young kid thinking about, talking about the, um, what did you expect to happen? This is my Super League dream, this. And it was the worst 12 months of my career and my mm. life. I, I just didn't, I hated it. Um, 
there's a couple of good lads who I, who I spent a lot of time with, Leroy Cud, George, Jermaine McGilvery, who, who were great with me. Mm. But I just couldn't figure out like, that I'd, I'd built Super League up to be this massive thing and the be all and end all and realise it was, it was quite bad. Like I, my experience of it at that time was really poor. And I think, why have I built this up to be so big? And it's actually nothing like it. it it's, and again, is that my fault for building it up to be something huge when your young, young kids at um, your Saints were out, they've been playing Super League since they were 17, 18. Mm. They've not had that build up where I had six, seven years of building this Super League dream to mm. be um, the pinnacle and realise when you, you rock out at, at Huddersfield on a Friday night and there's two or 3,000 there, it's not this big yeah. thing what I thought did, it did was Did you want to be. quit? Did you want to give it up at that stage? Yeah, well, the the reason I went to Toronto wasn't because I wanted to be at Toronto. I wanted to get out of Super League, which was the most um, volatile decision, what was going through my head. Mm. Looking back now, I can't remember what I was thinking um, at the time. If you could go back to that point where you stayed at Huddersfield, no, given what we're about to talk about with what happened in Canada, um, slash no, Rochdale. No, just, just because I wasn't, I hated it. I hated rugby. Um, and I, I wanted, I wanted to run away from the problem. So, it, the fact it was Toronto was me running away to a different country to get away from mm. me believing people was laughing at me because I'd not made it in Super League. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. I get that. So rather than solving the problem, rather than knuckling down and, and working hard to be a better professional, be a better teammate, to um, fight my way into the team, mm. I took the easy option and went to a coach who believed in me, who I love to bits. I think he gets the best out of me. Paul Rowley. Yeah. Paul Rowley. Um, I, needed that I needed that love back and he saved me from um, a tough period, period in, in my career there. Mm. But it's interesting, isn't it? Again, I'm going to go back to when I was last here with Lachlan Coote and he, he spoke about how how a coach can, can make or break you. You know, mm. we all know that really, but, you know, you've got different coaches. You've still got the same personality the same player mm. but a coach can make you either feel a hundred foot tall or make you want to walk away from a sport that 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 you that you love isn't it i think it's just it's so important that that um that you get that you get that right really and uh you know obviously you in toronto you worked on the roles great for you brian mack as well i was what was brian mack like for you well <laughs> 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 you want to go go on. <laughs> I've only got a, I only got a five minute glimpse into that. But like, I mean, the, the great thing that you're you're here now, you're you're not going to hold back, right? No. And, and I don't think you should because it's, um, you know, obviously we've we've had Brian Mack on the podcast before and heard his personal story, and he's had his own demons and things going on back in the past. But I mean, essentially, and you answer you answer Carl's question, but you, you, it kind of went from bad to worse from Huddersfield to Toronto, right? That's really why you went into the world of agency and so on. And at first, Paul Rowley's there. It's all ticking along nicely. Then what happened? Yeah, it, obviously, the first two years of Toronto was, was unbelievable. Uh, and obviously, despite what, what I'll go into now, if you'd have asked me what's the best experience in rugby league, I'd still say this Toronto experience was was unbelievable. And I, that's probably another story for another day. But if they'd have got that right, I just think it would have changed rugby league for, for, the, mm. for the good. I just think it was a very special um, project they had there. And if they would have got it right, that would have been incredible. But um, so the first two years w was great. Also, then Paul decided to leave. Um, and Brian McDermott came in. And <laughs> it's funny because I, I don't want to make this a, a hostile um, 
chat because I've seen Brian since and, and we've got on and it's, it's, it's probably a laugh now that we that we we talk about it. Um, but he came in and I was actually excited by the appointment because we had discussions about me going to Leeds um, a couple of years prior before I went to Huddersfield. So I, I, the, the, the choice chose Huddersfield because I think I'd have, had to, I'd have had to wait another year to sign for Leeds, whereas Huddersfield was like immediately. So I wanted, again, the Super League dream. I wanted it to happen then. Um, so I was quite excited by the appointment thinking and the style they play. I, I always base my game on Danny Maguire. And obviously from what he coached, Danny Maguire, I, think, I feel like would have been perfect for me. The style he would have played would have been would have suited me down to the ground. Uh, and, it, and I still believe it would. Um, he, I was when he came in, he, he didn't speak to me for a couple of weeks. Um, and oh, no, I, I, already, that's the, he, well, the I coach told, didn't speak yeah. to his well, fullback, his star fullback for a couple of well, weeks. I, well, I've been told he, it was weird and it weird anyway, so I never took it personally. Um, and he'd, he'd make little jokes in video like, You're playing back row for me, or, and in front of everyone. So I thought that was like, I mean, I'm in the click, you know what I mean? I thought mm. I'm, I'm, I'm all right, um, but would never speak to me personally. And mm. I was just a bit. Um, rattled by it because again for someone Paul Rowley would say good morning every morning chat and, and, and be great um, and I was, I was after training one day I'd, um, I was walking to my car and he said can I, can I chat with you uh, literally by the side of the car park at Hotwood Hall College and he said he just said um, I just want to have a quick chat with you I said yeah I'll go do it just so you know you'll never play for me ever I was like right so I, I was shocked at this point I'm why he went? Um, no reason. Just you'll never play for me. I was like, right. Well, so I went to protective mode of I've got two years left on my contract. I've kind of seen how these things play out, and I'm going. Well, just so you know, Mac, I'm going to come in and train professional. I'm a good kid. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a disruptor. You can ask anyone in there about how I am as a person, and then I won't have one person say a bad word about me. I, I get on with everyone. Went, yeah, yeah, went, you could go out on loan and, and win Man of Steel, but you'd never play for me. It's quite a threatening meeting in a car park. Yeah, and, and, and looking back, <laughs> it, there, was, there was a couple of interesting things, what he did. Um, like, he's, like, he's a big man anyway, yeah. but he stood on the curb and made me stand on the road, so he was even bigger. <laughs> so looking back now, I, and it, it, was, it was quite um, strategic what he did. Um, but... Of course, I was rattled. Like it, I was intimidated. Yeah, definitely. Did, did you think at the time that that was uh, a test that actually you might play for him, but he, he wanted to see something else, or was it just like you you thought this is no, literally door closed? Yeah, I didn't think yeah. anything of just the fact that he just doesn't like me. Mm. I'm, I'm done. I had one running with Ryan Mack right. <laughs> in a car park. No, it was in his office in Leeds. Yeah. So at the time, uh, they hadn't they hadn't set the season off too well. I think it was 2011. I'd been on loan at Wakefield and and, and been doing well at the bottom of the table. Um, and I always think that it's easier to play well in good sides than it is to play well in in, in bad sides around towards the bottom. And I was, uh, you know, I was, you know, I probably didn't get my timing right. That's happened a couple of times in my <laughs> in my in my career. Uh, but one of those was. You know, I'd been playing, and again, I'd been playing well. And Glenn Morrison and Paul King, uh, who, were, who were at Wakefield at the time, were in my ear saying, "How comes you're not getting a run in this Leeds team? Like they've, they're, they're not playing very well at the moment." And maybe you should go and ask him. So I thought, 
<laughs> and what it is with Brian Mack or what, what I've come to learn and for speaking to other people is if he either respects you, you're in. If he doesn't, as, as a player, then you've got no chance, basically. And that's it. In the, it you know, he's, he's military mindset and, uh, you know, he's very, very successful in what he did. So, you know, is it the right way of coaching? I don't know. It's obviously done him successful, but, you know, I was, I was in the camp of Ryan here and uh, went and asked him uh, you know what do I need to I, I think I asked him some along the lines of what do I need to do to be playing in this side or mm. or have you have you managed to look at video well obviously they just lost a number of games in a row and mm. he basically what he must have translated in his head was should we have a fight in the car park <laughs> because because he lost his shit he lost his shit and he he kind of walked through me really in terms of who do you think you should be playing in front of named all these players your Ryan Bale his Luke Burgess his Jamie Peacock and right. just completely got the wrong end of the stick. And I think uh, about three weeks later, that's when he came to me and said that we want to send you on loan to Barrow. And I was like, nah, mate. I says, I've not come, I've not given up, uh, you know, my wife leaving her job and yeah. me moving my daughter down to go back and play in the championship. I've came to play a Super League and, and, uh, and you know, and that's where I eventually went on to sign for Wakefield and, and, and it was the best decision I ever made, really. Yeah. How, how did that pan out for you then after that car park confrontation? Well, a, a bit like Kyle, he pretty much said to me, you're not welcome here. Um, and it, weirdly, I knew, I knew we had a small squad regardless. Um, so he said, listen, no matter what, you never play for me. I was like, well, listen, I'll just keep coming up and, and training hard and, and hopefully force my way in. And that was probably me being genuine as well, just being a professional with what we do uh, and believed that, believed that could change change his mind. Mm. Um, but quickly got, kind of got the information that it won't, it weren't going to change his mind. Um, and every every day was a battle. So every day be like, you're going to Workington. I'm like, mate, I'm not because a bit similar, I've, I want to play Super League, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to get this club. You're going to Featherstone, I'm not. You're going to London Scholars, so then I'd have meetings with, with Brian Noble every every day would be, you're going to London Scholars, I'm like, I'm, I'm not. Like So then, weirdly, uh, Castleford came in for me on, on loan, which mm. was, was in the Super League at the time. I was like, yeah, great, no problem, I'll go on, okay. you're not going there. <laughs> So why did why did he why did they want to not let, allow you well, to go to it, Super? It, it becomes an ego battle, doesn't it? Yeah, because it's, it's word, he said it was like it'll make us look stupid because because in their heads they they think you're a championship player. Yeah, and, and just wanted to degrade me as much as they can. And it's um, quite I'm, sinister, really. We, immediately, honestly, I remember after uh, we played a game against Featherstone, uh, obviously I wasn't playing, and we had to fly to um, Canada the next day. Mm. So I'm literally got back home, packing my suitcase, um, and I get a big email um, saying, "I mean, just so you know, you and you are not flying to Canada tomorrow." So, Why? Um, because you've not agreed a loan deal with Workington. I was like, I'm not. I didn't even know about this deal even being a thing. Like, yeah. it wasn't even a thing. Um, so they didn't let me didn't let me fly with the with the, with the team to, to so Canada. So at this stage, they properly isolated you. Oh, you're I was, you're I was, almost I was training home, on your own in Rochdale. On yeah. yeah, so they, 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 I had to go and train on my own in, in Rochdale. Uh, so literally walk up. And that's up. a punishment for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> walk up to Rochdale um, and be on a bike for 20 minutes and go home. And that was it. So every every day I had to train on my own um, until, until they got back from, from Canada. And also then when they got back, I wasn't allowed to train in the day. I had to train at night when they were, they'd gone home. And it was just me. And, and it was so difficult. Because um, in that time, there was a lot of payment issues anyway and financial trouble. So we wasn't getting paid on time. I was in that Rochdale on my own. I wasn't allowed to train with the team. I wasn't allowed to eat with the team. 
I was being called to meetings uh, from the club. So you, you, you turned up to have a, a, a hamstring scan and you weren't on the yeah, list. So yeah, the coach so I, had to I, pay I, for I it. I went to have a, have a, um, a scan and I, the, 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 the the clinician or the, the person who does the scan came and said, we can't scan you because the, the club haven't paid their insurance bill. Uh, one of the players, he was waiting for his operation and the surgeon went in and said, the, your, the owner's not paid you for the operation. So I remember back, that was back in the day where Paul Rowley paid paid his, on his credit card for his operation um, so there was a lot of things that what was a mess anyway um, did you get to the bottom of it though was it because I mean you were on pretty big bucks there right yeah. compared to some of the other people you know was it just a case that they'd been given the the, the direction that you that had to be taken out because of you you were earning 10 times more than others or what or get yeah. you off the wage bill yeah I think it was a, a salary cap thing I think there's a wage bill thing um, there's another way to go about that though isn't there well <laughs> that's the darker side of the game I, we've all been around players where you know I, I can think a, a number of players who have had the similar they almost want to isolate a degrade to that part because the idea is is he walks away from two years mm. wages so, so it was, it was this own. big big this big sort of McDermott military game essentially yeah, yeah. I, I, he must have decided. It was, it was sort of like I water want, torture. <laughs> yeah, well, I, they, they brought obviously Joe Miller in as well, so he was the starting half with, with Josh McCrone. Um And I, m I remember a, a game was getting beat by Wilco actually playing. It was was getting beat by Dewsbury, mm. um, and they had I was 18th man, and Bodine Thompson pulled out in the warm up, and he comes up to me, Mark, and says, "You're in." <laughs> nice one. Um, and I remember Bob Bezic come up to him, in, in which was. I'll never forget it. It was, it was brilliant. Um, it's, it's something so little, but it comes up to me in the, in the chain rooms at Dewsbury and just says, are you, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." He went, "Are you all right?" I went, "Yeah," and it was something because I'd not been asked, mm. "Are you all right?" Mm. for for months, and I was like, it just actually straightened me out a little bit. Um, and I was on the bench and, I, and was losing with, with probably ten minutes to go, um, and. It was a, it was a uh, absolute mud fest. Uh, the pitch was horrendous, and was wearing. We had white shirts, so, so the both teams covered in pitch, uh, pitch uh, black mud, and I've come on gleaming white shirt. Oh my god, the most embarrassing <laughs> thing ever! Um, <laughs> and I actually scored the winning try. To, so obviously to win the game against Dewsbury, which we should have won easily, really. Yeah. Um, and after the game, he says no, he's, again. He says nothing to me. I have, we have to fly to Toulouse to play in Toulouse the week after. And um, he pulls me in the team run and says, just so you know, I'd love to play you, but I just can't. Mm. I'm just going, right, he went, I'd love to give you a game, just can't, and walked off. The plot thickens. So, <laughs> just so bizarre. Um, and then again, I, then I come back. To, so I'm thinking, well, I must be pretty close. I'm close. Even though it's, it's weird, it, I'm close. We, got, we get back to England. Next time they go to Canada, Ryan, you're not you're not travelling with the team. Train on your own. Do it. It was just a mental torch. And you know what the worst thing was, is I I used to go get on from training and just sleep because I wanted the next day to be quicker. So then this pain would stop of just not knowing the confusion, what I'd done wrong. I didn't have a clue um, why he was treating me like that or why the club was treating me like that. I'd, they'd, they'd call me for meetings. I'd get called to a meeting at Cedar Court, you know, the hotel at Huddersfield. Mm, yeah. On top, so I'd have to drive there, and the CEO wouldn't be there. I'm like, Wait, oh no, we've cancelled it, we'll move it to tomorrow. And I'd be back and forth, and, and my mum and my dad, um, I used to I used to go back at home in tears and thinking, I just didn't understand what I'd done wrong. And mm. my, the worst thing was seeing my mum in tears thinking, why? Because bear in mind, all, all, all what my mum knew was, 
I wasn't being paid on time. So I was laying off, laying off my dad every month. Mm. I was being called to meetings, being trekked like that, uh, not being played, being told <laughs> I'll never play again. And my mum and his parents, they don't know, do they? Mm. They don't know the, the full story around what our rugby league works. We're probably a little bit battle hardened to it now as, as we get older. And you understand mm. it, like what Carl said, they, you, you do get, you do get um, exposed to players who are not wanted and forced out and, and you go through it a bit yourself. But seeing your family in tears about mm. just their son just being, and again, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm I don't drink, don't smoke. Mm. I'm not a disruptor. To see my mum go through that was yeah. the worst part of it by far. And, and obviously my wife and and kids, uh, my, my little girl who was would have been three, four at the time. Just why why you not playing playing anymore, daddy? And mm. how do you explain that full? situation to your four-year-old girl and that was the hardest thing for me to explain that because I've not done anything wrong we talk about role models and teaching your kids right from wrong I hadn't done anything wrong mm. and was being treated that bad and um was probably the worst but again when I say about the, being the best time in my career yeah that was the worst time not just my career but mm. my life for sure Kyle what, what's your reaction to that because obviously there's always two sides to another story yep. look Brian and, and yep. the, both Brian's aren't here to give their version of it but that yep. is like when you hear that, that, it, that there seems an injustice there yeah there does but I, I look I've no doubt that you know football's probably the same there's ruthless parts when you're not wanted there mm. and, and they're paying you a wage and you know um, it is it sounds ruthless, but it is the nature of the beast. You know what I mean? And and that's why I always think that players should uh, understand that at certain points in their career, they're going to be overpaid and at certain points they're going to be underpaid, mm. you know? Uh, and and but, but the game takes a pound of flesh off you. It's not just a one-way transaction. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I just think that, that, that you have to almost, at times, Put your big boy pants on, almost, and 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 just you know, whilst it's very very difficult, I get that. I've no doubt you've come out of it the other end a lot stronger and learnt a lot of lessons about, you know, just just about darker sides of 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 life, really, I suppose. But uh, I don't think it's right. Uh, but I understand that in a in a professional environment where you know, success and and uh, and the outcomes of seasons and games ultimately keeps a lot of people and a lot of jobs that if you're not wanted and they they seem that, that you're part of for whatever reason mm. uh, could they be more classier and go about it better absolutely do you know what I mean but I honestly think that that's perhaps a reason why clubs like Toronto and clubs like um, you know other clubs, let's say, that, that don't have that solid foundation of, mm. of correct businessmen from top to bottom um, why they why they predominantly find themselves where they are, yeah. you know? Because did you ever see that though? It's Saints, someone isolated to the point where they tried to drive them out of the club. And uh, not not really, no, not really. Um, you know, there was ways and means that that, that I've seen players leave the club mm. uh, again, but there's always two sides to that story as well. Um, you know, I think players that have. It all depends as well because what they try and do is ultimately the, the club that they want to protect the club and they want to protect everyone in their organisation and if that means that, that they have to find a way of moving you on, they're never going to really do it. No one comes out of it. It's very rare, sorry, that players come out of it as the winner, is it? You know, you're talking about moving, getting a player to move clubs. Now, whether that's, you know, yes, they may get paid out, but they've got to go through. That's just not a process that happens one week. That process builds for a number of weeks and 
and then they take it home to the families and then you know obviously then when they do move on they've got to move the families with them or so it's it's always an ugly side of it but i think we'd be fools to think that it doesn't happen and you know we talk about uh you, you know the the sort of the mental side of the game now and, and and looking after people yes i think there's a lot more things in place for players to be looked after but i still don't think that on the you know at the coal face of it, then, then, then the protection's really there, is it? It's a mentally draining sport, Will. It really is. And it challenges you. And I think sometimes the best, some, some quality players who are far more talented than I've seen or far more talented than myself haven't been able to handle that. Do you know what I mean? So there almost is the higher up you go. Yes, you have to have a certain fitness level, a certain skill set, behave in a certain way, but you also have to be mentally a bit tough. And, I understand if people say, well, that's not right, we shouldn't be, but but for me, in sport it is. You know, if you're not if you're not mentally able to cope and handle situations, then the game will eat you alive. But then you also need people to back your corner, right? That middle man or that middle woman. And this is where this chapter takes an interesting diversion to I mean actually a positive one for you, Ryan, because your business now as a uh, as an agent, predominantly at the moment in, in women's football, is because of your experience at Toronto, right? So, I mean, let me ask both of you this, like representation in rugby league in terms of, you know, agents, managers, mm. where, where is it at? What is the standard of that? Does it exist? Is it, where would you say, Carl, from, you know, having someone represent your corner? Yeah, well, I had, you know, I had Andy Clark who, lo who locked after me right from, uh, right from day one, really, up at Whitehaven, drove up to, uh, he actually got banned from driving, coming up to my house. He got a couple of his last final speeding points, so he always <laughs> holds that against me as if it was my fault. But anyhow, he came up and, and look, again, I think you've got to understand that, uh, you know, your agent's there. To, I know this sounds a bit sort of cynical, what I'm saying, but your agent's there to do a job for you. He's not there to be your best mate as such. I had a great relationship with Andy because I stayed with him an awful long time. Mm -hmm. And even towards the end there, when my deals weren't really worth having an agent for, he actually just said he'd still help me out, but he didn't expect me to pay him. Do you know what I mean? So, But, but he would have but interfered would, in a situation like that, right? Is my point. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, definitely. He would have he would have interfered in that and he'd have gave you advice and, and he'd have gave you... But as well, though, and I'm not saying that... I'm not saying this about Andy, but I imagine... I imagine that agents are all... You know, it's sport, it's ruthless and they are looking to move players on and if they do that one club a favour, will it come back round in their time? And, mm. and you, you know, I think you'd be a fool not to think that that everyone in the game is trying to protect number one. Yeah. Um, you know, I, but again, every deal I signed that he got me, I was always happy. You know, they, they don't ever force you to put pen to paper. They mm. just lay the cards in front of you. If something's happening behind the scenes, we start going down the road of paranoia then, don't mm. you? you? Then you've got to, if your agent wasn't doing anything for you, then I think that'd be a different thing. But I never felt that you could get angry at people that wanted to pay you money. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I never felt that that was, you know, I, you'd be more angry when people didn't want to pay yeah, you yeah. money. How did this then drive you into the world of sports agency? Because at the time you were 27, 28, you're in your yeah. sort of prime as a rugby league player, right? Still so many years ahead of you. Um, and, and so much more to concentrate on in your playing career, but then you've got this whole new world. Yeah, I think, um, obviously I was doing my master's degree in sports business management uh, whilst I was at Toronto. Um, in them, I'll say 26, 27 years of age there. And I never really know, knew what I wanted to kind of do with it, mm. um, kind of be like a sporting director or some sort of role. And I never really considered the agent type um, type role, but 
I just kind of thought with the experience I was going through and, and the hardship I was kind of uh, experiencing that I never wanted one of my players to go through a day of what I went through because my, my issues probably lasted probably about 18 months or two years. So it wasn't a week. It was a, a, a good period of time. Um, and just to reference Kyle's point in that he probably didn't want, didn't want his agent to be his best mate, just wanted him to get the job done. I was probably the opposite at that time. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone just to be there. Um, and that's what I wanted from, from, from my agent and, and what I believed I needed and, and what probably my model as an agent now. So w when I kind of went through that, that, um, that, that issue of, of Toronto, I was learning about different things about sport and salary cap and how it kind of works and speaking to lawyers, speaking to solicitors, speaking to the governing body and uh, really finding an education out of it. Mm -hmm. um, whilst I was doing my degree, also, so I passed my master's degree and there was a coffee shop in, in Astley, what uh, an ex-player, Corey Patterson, owned. And um, a lot of the Man City football, because when I talked about agency, I never thought for one minute it'd be women's football. Um, because at the time, obviously, it wasn't big. And never, I didn't know enough about it. And naturally, I was thinking, well, rugby, rugby league, that would be, the, that'd be, be all and end all. Mm. So a lot, of, a lot of the Man City footballers, Steph Orton, uh, Alex Greenwood, um, George Stanley, they all went to a coffee shop in Astley because uh, they all live around the area. And it was a coffee shop what I went to quite frequently with to see Corey Patterson, who was an ex-teammate. Um, just man, just just coffee chat, just chatting to him. Also become become mates with a lot of the girls there for for a couple of months there. And they mentioned a girl called called Jess Park who had just left um, her agent because that agent had gone to work with James Milner. Mm. Um, and in football, if you if you leave an agency to go and work with another agency, you can't take your players for two years. So I was trying to wait, and um, I remember Steph saying, Steph Orson, she was saying, um, why don't you look after Jess? And I was like, just brushed it off, like didn't think anything of it. Um, but she, obviously she knew the situation I'd been through at Toronto and, and the experiences I've had, I'd had. Um, and I said, well, that's probably one benefit I do have is that I'm involved in sport and I can mm -hmm. see what happens to players daily and see what, how, how they, need to be protected um so she, well she said well why don't you speak why don't you speak to her because i believe you could look after her uh which was a massive compliment from steph and the girls that i could actually do it um because again i was only been 27 28 at the time i remember ringing jess being to jess and nervous wreck like speaking to a women's footballer i didn't even know anything about the game didn't even know what position she played um and rang her and, and said oh, can i can speak to your parents on the back of so I spoke to the parents um about what i could offer because i just thought I remember speaking to my wife and she said, if you, if you don't try and don't take the opportunity now, you, you, you might regret it. You never know where, she, where she's going to end up in, in her career. So mm. I, 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 just, I just dove straight in. Uh, and then the day after I was a nervous wreck thinking, have I, have I said anything right? Have I said anything wrong? Like legally, have I said the right things? Um, and Jess ran me straight back and, and said, yeah, I want you to look after me. And just panicked. Um, I had to get my license quickly <laughs> because I didn't even have a license to, to be an agent. Uh, so I had to pass that, do all that kind of stuff. Um, and met, met, her, met her a couple of days later um, to sign the contract and all that kind of stuff. And regardless of, of her footballing ability, because it's easy to say now because she's playing for England um, and Manchester City, so the biggest club in the world and playing for England, which is great. Um, but as a person, I couldn't have signed a better person for mm. me. I think she reminds me of me um, and I see a lot of myself in her as a, as a young player and, and to be able to, and for her to trust me with her career and um, is a massive compliment and, and something what I'll never 
really understand and, and they've actually trust me with it. But I was really lucky in the fact that I managed to sign Jess because of how much of a superstar she is, has helped me sign other players. Mm -hmm. It's kind of how it works. Um, so like it's a bit of a snowball effect. I've got 20 players now, but it's probably all been a snowball effect of Jess and luck. Um, I've fluked it, winged it. Um, a lot, of, a lot of that was luck and judgment, and um, and I've just winged every every second of it. But by learning and, and being honest and transparent, and mm. probably to go against what Kyle said, is that I probably do believe Jess is my best mate. I, I believe we're that close. Um, the amount of agents who try and steal her off me every single day, <laughs> I'm like, it's just so protective over her. Um, but I believe that I'm the agent what I would want. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And that, that's what, not without blowing my own trumpet, but I feel like my experiences of going through stuff. Um, and again, th it's easy for Jess because every club wants Jess, every brand wants Jess, which is great for me to manipulate numbers. And, and am, I, am I the agent to, to get her a couple more quid? Probably not, but am I the agent who cares the most and tries the hardest? I'd probably back myself, yeah. Um, that, that's probably my, mo that, probably my model of of agency really do you know what's interesting in all that when you said there that you just took that chance and thought i'll ring it you're always reminding me about your dvd yeah. taking that <laughs> chance so it's almost like you know that you've deep down for a guy that you said he's perhaps insecure and, and perhaps uh doesn't back himself you've got some balls mate because <laughs> you, 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 you know, you've just you've just done two things there that most people would go no i'm not going to bother doing that mm. you know that's not you know, yeah. sending the DVD in, I don't think there'd be too many people who'd have done that, but you took a chance <laughs> and, and then you've took a chance again and it's came up Trump. So I think your lesson in all of this is 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 perhaps just to maybe yeah. back yourself a bit more, right? You know? And, and, and my thing came from probably a bit of um, the worst part of my career in my life in using that to my advantage, going, listen, Jess, I, I've seen it all. I've been through, it's all right for you, Jess, you're at the top of your game and, mm. and, it, and it, it's all right, that's the easy, being an agent is the easiest job in the world for, yeah. for George Williams, where every club, in the, every club in the world wants him, he's one of the best players in the world. But being an agent for someone who's not so talented, mm. um, I think that's a harder job, being mm. an agent for someone who's struggling. And again, for, for me, I just thought with what I'd been through, I didn't want to let any player of mine go through a day of what I went through um, because I think it's always a, um, I'll put this the right way, it's always a challenge to go through adversity in, in any career, um, but to experience it yourself and to flip it on its head, to turn it into a positive for someone else. And I talked about being selfish in my early, early careers. I feel like that has put me in good stead to be really unselfish and help a young girl out in her career. Um, and to, and we, weirdly now, to see her play make a debut for England and to have that um, weird as a parent type of cause I've never had that to mm. watch a, one of my players who, are, who I'm involved with. So obviously, mum and dad always always watch me, but to to stand to sit in a stand and watch women's football to cheer a young girl on mm. and for a debut was one of the best moments in, in my life to, mm. to watch him uh, fulfill a dream and playing for England, to, sat, to sit with her parents, mm. to watch their kid play for Brilliant. England. It was the best experience of my life and, and it's given me way more highs than rugby league has ever given me because yeah. in rugby league, you're in control, aren't you? Because it's you, it's your, it's your career. When, you, when you're not in control, it's a bit like a coach, isn't it? Like the, the coaches always say that it's hard because they're not in control, whereas that element there for me, 
to to feel like I've had a, I'd have, I've had a positive influence in her career because, listen, Jess is um, she's a character. She the amount of trouble she's been in, I've had I've had to get her out of it, which has been great. It's it's, it's hilarious thinking back now, but because she's a, um, just a, a kid from Hull who's again would play in the car park if she could. To the amount of trouble I've kind of had to get her out of and. Um, Hopefully not car park with Brian. Yeah, yeah, not them. That's what I'm saying. So it's it's really interesting. She's just a young kid, just living her dream as a professional footballer, and to harness that, and to now to walk into um, a room with a brand um, who want to give a quarter of a million, half a million pound to wear football boots, and to and for her to trust me with that conversation is one of the most amazing feelings I've ever had. Like, the, the, so the obvious bizarre. thing I want to ask is because I can see so much you, you light up and you're sort of living your dreams now through, you know, the guys that you're, and girls that you're representing. Do, do you, are you still living your dreams through your career on the pitch? Because you're only 31. And, like, and, and have Salford seen this as a distraction for you for, for what you're doing, what they're paying you to do? I, I remember we, we, had a, we had an RL Cares chat a couple of weeks ago um, and it was talking about that, life after rugby league and transition and, and mm. all that kind of stuff. And um, I think so Kyle Leo has, has done it unbelievably well, transitioning from playing to, to what he's doing now. And, and I, I don't think there's any any luck with that. I think it's hard work, uh, effort. It's um, been about what we've, gone, what, we've been, what we've gone through before. So we're kind of making it here to get here to, to, do the, to do the podcast. I think it's no luck by them people getting them in them situations. And what the guy was saying from the Arrow Cares, he was saying talking about if you actually have other interests and other hobbies, your performances actually improve because it's not all about rugby league. And coincidentally, the last three years have probably been the best of my career. Because you were happier off the pitch. And I've been, I've had the agency three years. And it's just because I've probably learned that rugby league is not the be all and end all. Mm. And I've got, and weirdly, I could have a I could have a shocker of a game on a weekend um, in front of the sky cameras, <coughs> and it'd be it'd be awful. I'd go home, I'd be devastated, um, depressed, and and going through all the feelings you do. And I'd ring Jess the day after about her career mm. and uh, what uh, what game she's got tomorrow. She she might be playing at Wembley in a cup fight, and she don't have a clue about my game. Don't it's so it's so much bigger in your head, isn't it? Like, yeah. it, it, and she she wouldn't have a clue, and it just ground me so much that oh well. No one's actually cares anyway. <laughs> uh, I think one of the other podcasts that that that, that we that we've done mm. uh, was with Tim Laffey, mm. and he said one of the best things that I've heard. You know, when he, he speaks about his family and how his kids don't care, and mm. and and really, you know, he talked about how he left and went on the building site, and and when he was working with those guys, he realised that rugby league wasn't anything big for him mm. do you know what I mean because none of these other guys knew anything around him but to, to echo what Ryan said when you're in it you so immersed yourself in it because it's it's providing your mortgage it's supporting your family it's, mm. it's your passion it's your dream you know for, for many for many of the players their whole identity is being brought up right from when they were four year old by oh you know he scored two tries this weekend let's give him a couple of quid mm. right the way up to so his whole self-worth comes from the game mm. and I think when you start to threaten that or when it gets threatened that can become very, very difficult for players to deal with. So I always feel that, you know, the guys that like what you've just said there that have interests away from it. You, know, you spoke about, you know, staying awake at night and I was that player for, for a number of years. But as I got to around about 30 mm. and I started exploring and doing different things, I found myself just going, getting home and just going to bed because it, it was just a job. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and 
when you say it's just a job, it wasn't because, you know, you loved everything about it. But it becomes more and more like a job. I think the moment you sign a professional contract, you almost sign away the little kid and, and the right to why you play the game. Mm. It becomes a different, or it has to become a different mindset for me. I, think, I might, that might be wrong. I think you nailed it with the, in terms of the identity because it, it's been a, um, a bit of a reality check when, when I'm going to meetings with the girls now, it's Ryan the agent, not Ryan the rugby player. And, it, and it's, it's probably going to help me in the long run that because when you when you finish playing rugby you're not you're not Ryan the rugby player anymore you you're just Ryan and and that's I think what Carl I think Carl nailed it that players struggle with that that the mm. identity shift of mm. of not knowing what you are because I'll go into a room with with a player um, I don't know, even the the conversation the one with with Nike Puma Adidas uh, New Balance and you walk in there and, and massive brands uh, companies organisations and it's Hi Ryan, nice to meet you. Oh yeah, Ryan, this is this is Ryan Jesse's agent. It's like, no, I, I actually play rugby as well. But it's such a shift because I've I've yeah. never had that. I've never had that identity of and you can, not not that like you get jealous, but I'm like, I still play as well. I, still, I am yeah, yeah. professional. Mm -hmm. But but, that, but that's kind of one of my you. points as well, is that and, and I, I wanted to sort of get to the bottom as we just wrap it up, is that is that fire still in your belly on the pitch? Because at 31, you know, you still do have some time ahead of you. And, and I remember having this conversation with Wilco and Flash, not that they listened to a single word that I said, but it was when they were coming towards the end of their careers, you know, really decent, respectable careers and grand final winning careers. Like I, I'm saying from someone who's never played professional sport from the outside, like soak up every single second of it because you've got plenty of time afterwards. Like you, you've got this, you've got 40 years ahead of you as an agent if you want it, right? And to soak up those moments that you can't get back and those moments, I mean, I've interviewed Kyle, you, you, Kyle, on the pitch at Old Trafford, you know, with your hands on the, on the trophy. Like th those moments that could still be there for you. And, you, you know, you, you've joined your boyhood club in that sense and you're still living your dream. Uh, weirdly, um, the, the desire and the hunger has got, um, has got far greater since having the agency because a bit of a, you hold the responsibility that as much as you, I want to be a, a great agent and that's great, but I'm also a role model to them players as a player as mm -hmm. well. So because they, they all know what I do um, and they'll text me saying good luck for a game or whatever it may, may be. And the, for me, the, the desire of winning a trophy has been, f is the, the greatest it's ever been for me. Like I'm, I am that desperate to win a trophy, almost that, uh, and Cal probably laugh, but I, I almost feel like my career as a player will be a failure if I don't win a trophy. I, I, I want to win a trophy that bad. Um, and it's one of them where you think like, when you win one you'll be fine but you get that addictive uh, <laughs> instinct that you want to win more and more which is like, I, I wouldn't know because I've not won one but the the desperation for me and, and the boys at Salford where I I've never felt this feeling before where I, every game hurts me if we lose because I know it stops me winning a trophy and mm. I don't know whether that's come from having the agency and wanting to be wanting to be uh, wanting them to be proud of me I think first and foremost, I want to be proud of for myself and my family and my kids. But I think from being an agent and seeing, because obviously my players have all won stuff. Like they've all going out winning stuff and trophies and league cups. And I'm going, um, weirdly after the, we played against Hull KR a couple of weeks ago. Um, away, it was a quarter, quarter final of a Challenge Cup. Um, and we got beat. And I, it rattled me that for a couple of weeks. Really rattled me. Um, and I always made a, made a, a promise to myself that I'll never go in. I'll never go into Wembley chain rooms and Old Trafford chain rooms, 
until I get there. So the mat, you get off, I have to go on stadium tours, don't you, and things like that. And I had to do an event with um, with Jess a couple of weeks ago at Wembley. So I had to go with, and um, we had to go, like, go underneath. And she said, oh, we had to do like a couple of photo shoots in the, in the Wembley chain rooms. And I couldn't go in because I'd, I was that devastated that I hadn't got there myself. I'm like, I'm, no, I'm not doing it until I, I earn the right to be there. Mm. Um, and Jess has played at Wembley 10, 10, 15 times now. It's the novelty for her, because mm. she plays for England. They play every, 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 every time they play a game, they play there. And I'd say, Jess, Jess, please do not underestimate playing at Wembley, because I'm 31 and I, I'm desperate to be there. And that's why the, the old KR game when we got beat in the, in the Challenge Cup, rattle me for a couple of weeks and weirdly it might be this um this anti-climax of when you actually get to the stadium or might be the this super league what i built up a couple, couple few years back so i'm always scared as well of actually getting there mm. but the desperation for me to get there um is for me at the moment would be the would be the difference between calling my career and it sort of sounds so stupid and childish but calling my career a a success or a failure and yeah. I, I think I need to win something I actually felt you know the the Challenge Cup final was the one that was missing for me mm. we got there in 2019 and Warrington turned us over we were red hot favourites we went into it 14 games in a row Morgan Knowles gets that try disallowed early on and I think if that try gets given it perhaps changes the course of the game it doesn't however and Warrington with a very much patched up team they go ahead and beat us and I you know that defeat was that rattled me big time because I thought in my head that if I don't get my hands on that cup mm. then my career was a failure mm. do, 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 crazy, do, do you know what I mean and, and, and so when we got when we got to do it in 2021 well for me that was just you know what you know it was almost you know if, if it was all over then then it was all over do you know what I mean I, I, I could have easily just went you know that I completed the game. Like, that's how I felt in my own head. So I understand what, what, what you're saying. I get it. I really do. But I think for Salford and the journey that they're on, I think that almost gives them, gives them a bit more hope. I think it gives them a bit more desire, a bit more expectation. Because since 2019, they've started now to change the mindset of how people look at Salford as a club. And it's largely through guys like... You know, like Ryan, Brody Croft, Sneed, you know, Callum Watkins, incredible players that have brought perhaps something that that Salford club hasn't seen for a long, long time. Mm. So I think that, you know, and I, I think I've said this to you before, I think Salford's biggest chance probably was at the end of last season when they took on Huddersfield and, and got beat. Mm. Uh, was it the year before that? I think it was. You obviously had that semi-final against Saints and, and, and you know, on another day could have could have knocked Saints off and got to a grand final but it has dropped a little bit this season but that performance and those players you know they're still very capable of mm. if they get in that six with people again like Ryan and, and the belief that they have within them and crucially that 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 bit between the teeth that they're so desperate to get there mm. I wouldn't write them off I certainly wouldn't write them off yeah. but um, you know it's it's at clubs like Salford, you only get a limited time, I believe, to, to, to capture something, um, you know, largely because the big, you know, the big four names that have sat on that grand final trophy have done it for a reason. It's because there are academies underneath them and, and, and the player pool they get to pick from, they almost in many ways have a, have a bit of a cheat on the competition because they get the, they attract all the best kids first. And, 
everybody else gets sort of fizzled out across across the rest of the teams. But um, look, mate, I just wish you all the very best for for the rest of the season. And and you've you've had that obviously because you've probably seen some people at Lee, not just on the pitch as teammates because you had a second spell there, but behind the scenes and what they did and, and getting their hands on a, on a trophy and having their Hollywood ending. So just to finish. Ryan, what does the next five years look like for you in terms of the agency and then wrapping up your career in, in terms of the perfect ending, the perfect swan song? Yeah, definitely. And, and listen, in regards to the agency, there's a little bit in there that also when I finish playing, I'll have a job to walk into, which is um, with what I, what I want to do. And I just feel like um, I always thought, oh, well, as soon as I finish playing, what next? Um and there's only limited jobs in rugby league for people when they when they leave the game. So I've tried to do as much as I can within the game to try and um, cement yourself a good reputation that uh, and a trustworthy reputation that you'll you'll get used for things like this and um, putting yourself out there. Because and as well, like what Kyle said before, you, you, we love talking about the game. Like as much as it's a job and uh, the punditry commentary is a job, I th we just love talking about the game, don't we? So I've always kind of loved that element and I love the tactical element element of it. Um, as a head coach, probably not. I, I think assistant would, would look okay um, at this moment in time. The agency are, are, are the side to just know that I know I've got something. And, and as well, in regards to the agency, that become a, a better agent in terms of not by uh, recruiting more players, but recruiting the right players um, is more importantly than anything. It's never in rugby league, right? You're not interested? No, I've said before, it's... Weirdly, it's something that I never wanted. I didn't know anything about women's football. Um, all I knew, I knew was rugby league. I, I don't think I'd ever touched rugby league in terms of being an agent. I just think it's too close to home. Um, I, knew, I know too many bad stories and bad people. Um, and because it's funny that a lot of my teammates will ask me for advice and uh, going through contract situations, but um, it's just not something that I'm willing mm. to entertain in terms of rugby league. I'd rather, as well, in regards to the, the women's football with how that's flying at the moment um, and the education I've had through it, I think it's probably best I, I, I stay in that, that space at the moment. In regards to, to playing, I'm still going to stick with, I feel like it's a failure if I don't win a trophy. I, I, I really want to stick by that. And you know what? At the end of my career, I, I might not have a trophy to, to show for it, um, but I don't want to die wondering, I suppose. So that's the, the ultimate goal for me. I, I want to win a trophy. Um, obviously, I've got three or four years left at, at Salford now. Uh, to make that happen, and um, for me, that that's the ultimate goal. That's the first. Um, if you said to me, "What do you want to achieve? Uh, what would be number one in your list?" That it'll be win a trophy. And I think the coaching staff, obviously Paul Rowe, I think we all share that same same uh, same value and, mm -hmm. and same goal. Uh, again, it's I'm not I'm not um, under no illusions how tough that that is going to be to win a trophy, but. I just feel like I'm running out of time, if that makes sense, weirdly, because um, I've got a lot of rugby ahead of me, but I, I feel like I'm running out of time. I want to win a trophy. I'm desperate to win a trophy. Uh, and that, for Salford as well, I, I think that's the, that's the main thing in, in doing yeah. something for a club that doesn't naturally um, put himself in the top four category. To win a trophy for them uh, would be pretty special. And then I can leave and go into Kyle's role alongside him um, and have the agency there to be, to be a good role model for for mo mo most importantly, good people rather than good players. And mm. I think how talented my players are in the agency is, is irrelevant. I just think I, I feel I've got 20, 22 of my best friends under me um, to, for, for me to protect them. And that means more important. Uh, that's more important than having having good players. Right, love it. Thanks so much for coming in, mate. Really interesting conversation. And, and again, when I said 
an hour and 20 minutes ago, where's this going to go? We had kind of no idea and some really sort of topical points in there. So fascinating, mate. Thank you so much. Sure, and I think you. that what well, the moral of the story is, if you see Brian McDermott in a car park, fucking run for your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, oh, send him a DVD. <laughs> send him a DVD. Brilliant. Kyle Topman, Brian, thank you very much. And let's see, while Mark Flanagan's not here, we've lost John Wilkin for good now, but if Mark Flanagan is not here for a couple more weeks, if we can go from 4.9 stars up to five. Because I think you've helped us do that. We've gone slightly <laughs> higher brow since Flanagan has gone on holiday. Um, right, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. 